But I want to start today by asking you a question. What do you think about when, when you talk about power or authority? I, I've got to be honest, growing up, I didn't particularly like people in positions of power. You know, maybe teachers, police. I mean, if I'm honest, they probably didn't like me much either. But I guess I've, I've always had a bit of an issue with sometimes people in authority or, or in power. And sometimes that's because you probably agree with me that at times people have abused that position. You know, we, we've seen police abuse the power they have. We've seen politicians and MPs abuse their power, teachers maybe even if you're still in school. Um, and so sometimes, like in our society, in our culture, sometimes power and authority, it seems like dirty words, it's kind of like, there's kind of a real stigma attached to it because often they've been used uh, in, in a negative way, maybe uh, against the powerless or against those who don't have any authority. And so kind of within that context, we begin to ask the question, well, what does kingdom power look like? We've been looking at this, you know, the, the kingdom and, and the king. And so what does, what does kingdom power look like? And, and it might be surprising. We're going to look at that today. In fact, John the Baptist himself was surprised. It, it, he's saying because he thought that, that kingdom power was going to look like kind of strength and judgment and, and Jesus putting his foot down. But what we'll begin to see is that, that kingdom, kingdom power actually looks like compassion. And so we're going to use this uh, chapter in, in, in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 7, to look at these two stories that, that, that Luke tells us and gives us that display kingdom power and authority and, and what can we draw from it. And, and like I said, in this kind of current climate and culture that we're in, where authority and power seem to be abused and, and misused, well, what does it look like for Jesus to have power? How does he use it? So uh, why don't you turn with me to Luke chapter 7. We're going to start at verse 1 and we're going to read that together. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marvelled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Soon afterwards, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. 
And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came and touched the briar, and the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Disciples of John reported all these things to him, and John, calling two of his disciples, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Before we dive in, I just want to remind us that these stories that we've read are, are real people. You don't make believe fairy tales. These are real people, real lives that were impacted and changed by Jesus and what he's done in those areas. And so we're going to look at these sort of two stories separately and, and see what we can dig out. And the first one begins with a, a centurion. Now, a centurion was a middle-ranking Roman officer that would have been stationed in a, in a, in a region uh, around Jewish people. And I guess there's three things that we learn about him in the text that, that are important for us when it comes to the story. The first thing is that he had a servant who was, who was knocking on death's door. He, he wasn't well, a servant that he was fond of, he cared about, he liked him, but, but he, was, he, he was dying. He, he wasn't getting any better. The second thing we learn about him is that he, he was wealthy and generous. You know, he, he wasn't Jewish, he was a Roman, but he had money. People liked him because they, they tell us in verse 5, he, he, you know, he loves a nation. He built us a synagogue. He, he was a wealthy and generous man. He was a community man, if you like. And the third thing that we find out about him, which is the one that I find sort of most striking, is that he'd never met Jesus, as far as we know. He says that when he, in verse 3, that he'd heard about Jesus. Jesus had been doing other miracles and other towns and other places and world was beginning to spread and, and the centurion picks up that there's this man that seems to have power, kingdom power and authority and, and, and that's enough for this man to say, no, I need to get some elders and, and send them to Jesus. I, I can't go myself. He's, he's so humble, this man. I'm not worthy to go to Jesus or for him to even come to my house. But let, let me send some people to him and, and tell him. This man has, has, has remarkable faith and expectation of what Jesus can do. And even then, I pose a question to us, you know, what, what faith and expectation do we have of what Jesus can do? It's, it's a question for us to ask ourselves. Because even though this man can't come to his house, Jesus can't come to this man's house, even though he's not even going to see him physically, he, he has such an assurance. He, he tells his servants to, to tell him, 
by, but just by your word, Lord. My servant's sick, he's, he's dying, but by your word, you haven't even got to be here. Just say the word and he'll be healed. That's power and authority. That's what he asks him. That's how he asks. And I must have read this passage, like, I don't know, 30 or times this week, but Perry, I've, I kind of, and every time it strikes me, this, this, this kind of faith that he has and the way that he asked Jesus to, to heal, heal his servant. It kind of got me wondering sometimes about how I ask Jesus for things. And sometimes we can be guilty of it. I know I can. Of Sometimes like you, maybe you want to see a friend of yours healed and it's like, oh, Lord, will you, you know, Lord, if, if it's your will, will you heal them? You know, if, if that's kind of your plan, we'd love you to heal them if, if that's what you want to do. But, but if it's your will, if you don't, I, I can't, it's okay, I can't understand. Give me comfort, uh, give us peace and kind of strengthen. But it would be nice if you can heal them, Lord. And it's, it's kind of like almost like a foot in both camps. We're not quite sure. There's kind of not a real faith. To There's none of that in this story. By your word, he'll be healed. There's, there's a faith. He, he sees it in, in, in many ways. This was a man of authority, right? He says that himself. I have soldiers under me. I say, go, they go. Uh, you know, it, it, I'm under authority as well. And, and he recognises the authority of Jesus almost in like military terms. You know, you sort of picture the scene, don't you? Like uh, Marines or whatever waiting to, to invade a camp and they're just po poised on the edge, waiting, waiting, waiting. Just give us the word, give us the command, give us the command. And it comes and they just go, they, they move. Or another example I, I was thinking of is in the film Gladiator, in kind of gladiator arenas where someone is about to be killed because they've lost. The crowd are chanting, live, live or die, die. And, and they look to Caesar who literally will put his thumb down for death and up for life. The, the, the power to command life and death literally in a hand gesture. It's like you just say the word, you just make the gesture. That, that's how this centurion, that's the world that he's in and that's how he sees the power of Jesus. You've just got to say the word. And it's the same for our life. Sometimes it's like, man, Jesus, just say the word. Jesus speaks in, in a remarkable way. There's power and there's authority that he carries. And, and that's the expectation. And, and this expectation, it, it, verse 9, Jesus marvels at it. He's impressed by it. He holds this, this man up as an example. He's like, not even in Israel have I seen this sort of faith. He's an example to an example to me and you today. And, and so we see that this first story that we have is, it's not really about a servant being, being healed. That's just one verse at the end. So they went back to the house, they found the servant what? Amazing, it's a miracle. But the kind of real subject of the story, if you like, the point is, is the faith of the centurion. The faith that he possesses and he has in kingdom power that Jesus then displays in the healing of a servant. So that's, that's our first story, right? Then we kind of move on to our second story, which is basically my version, verse 11 says, soon afterwards, other manuscripts say that literally the next day. So this is quite, it's, it's fast paced, it's hustle and bustle. The next day they find themselves going to a town and you've got Jesus and, and his disciples with him and all these sort of tag along and, and, and Johnny come lately, there's a crowd now and, and they're kind of walking down the street. And as they approach the gates, you've got a picture of the scene that there's a, there's a funeral going on. They observe a funeral. Now, funerals in, in, those, in those days, you've got to kind of, it's not the way that sometimes it's done in this country. You kind of think of a cemetery with, with lots of people around, kind of uh, in a crowd, sort of very sombre, very silent, kind of hushed tones, kind of head bows. You know, sorry for your loss and, uh, you know, sorry to be here. And it's, it's all kind of very, you don't want to speak too loud or, or draw any attention to yourself. 
And in that, in, in that day, it was, they said there's a crowd with her. There, there, there would have been almost like a procession through the town. There would have been four you know, bearers holding this kind of this body and there would have been crying and tears and, and, and weeping. We get told that in the text. This was a real, this was a commotion. This was a scene because a young man has died and, and Luke chooses to give us the detail that it's a widow's son. You think, oh, why does he include that? Well, in that sort of patriarchal society at the time, to be a widow was to be in a vulnerable place because you would have had no uh, protection financially and kind of no, uh, I guess, covering. And then for your son to die as well, without any kind of men around, you would have been vulnerable in, in more ways than one. And so Luke gives us that detail. And so it's into, it's into this scene of kind of hustle and bustle, funeral going on, tears and, and, and kind of all going on. Jesus and his, and, his, and his sort of crowd turn up and his mates arrive and, and he looks and he sees this woman. I love it. That's what it literally says. It says the Lord sees her. When you read the Gospels, there's, there's accounts. Zacchaeus' story comes to mind. Jesus just sees him in a tree. In the midst of, in the midst of all this going on, Jesus sees people. In her pain, in, in her grief, in her despair and, 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 and sorrow, he's the one who sees her. It's the same for me and you. In the midst of our pain and, and sorrow and, and, and grief and, and anger and frustration, God is the one who sees us. Even today, I, I, I don't know how you've, you, you've come today, if there's things you're carrying, if there's burdens that you've got, if there's things that you're just wrestling with. God's the one who sees you this morning. He's the one who sees you today. He does. And not only does it tell us in, in verse 13 that he sees her, it tells us that he, he says he has compassion on her. So he's, he's, his heart just goes out to this woman. He, he sees her crying and he's, he's got a compassion. He's a God of power and authority, but there's the, the, the human, just the compassion. He, he sees the individual and his, his heart goes out. And he's going to respond in quite a remarkable way. He sees her pain and, 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 and her upset and, and, and he has compassion. And, and the reason I kind of labour on that, that point is because sometimes you get some teaching almost of like, oh, you know what? You've not received your miracle because of your lack of faith. I've, heard, I've had that said to, you know, I've heard, heard that talk before. And listen, there's clearly a dynamic in the scriptures, in the Gospels in particular, where faith seems to unlock something. There's a, a, we saw it in the story we've just read. Expectation and faith from the centurion servant marvels Jesus and there's a healing. Don't get me wrong, there is definitely an element of that. But sometimes we can be, we, can, we almost want to put kind of how kingdom power works in a, in a, in a box, in a kind of, no, in, in a, but there's a, there's a real mystery to it because here Jesus acts out of sheer compassion. It doesn't say the widow had faith in, in, in this text. And I guess what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that Jesus, that kingdom power is not bound by our faith or lack of it. God can work outside of that and he often does. He's, he's done that many, many, many times throughout history. He does it here. He, he works within faith. It's great to have faith and expectation because it clearly unlocks something. But God can also work outside of that and, and, and that's what he does here and and then he, uh, and so he approaches the woman and what does he say to her? He says, do not weep. 
don't know whether he puts his arm round her. I don't know whether he just kind of stands face to face. He holds her shoulders. I don't know. He says, just don't, don't, don't weep. In Luke 6, Jesus had been, been preaching, you know. Blessed are those who weep for they will, will experience laughter, basically. It's like he's been teaching the theory in Luke 6 and now it's, he's demonstrating. It's like these are kingdom teachings. Now it's kingdom power being displayed. Don't weep. Like Jesus, Jesus knew what he was going to do, right? He says, compassion, he thinks, I'm not having this. Don't weep. And so he tells her, don't weep. And then he, he, he kind of stops the, the procession, he, he, the kind of parade almost. He touches the body. Can you imagine the scene? Like his, his disciples and the crowds, they've seen what he can do. They're, they're probably thinking, oh, what, what's going to happen next? They're probably talking to one another. Oh, what do you think's going to happen? What's he going to do? You know, there's a bit of a kind of quiet buzz. Their, their eyes are staring, staring at him. It says the bearers stood still, shocked. Part of the reason is because in, in, in Numbers 19, verse 11, it says that if you were to touch a, a, a dead body, you would be ceremonially unclean. You'd be dirty. You couldn't participate in communal worship. It, they're like, well, what's he doing? Just kind of shot waiting to see what he's going to do. And, and he touches the body and he says to this young man, young man, I say to you, arise. Sometimes I, I, I read that passage and I think, I wonder, I wonder how Jesus said it. Do you ever, do you ever get that in the scripture sometimes? Like how, did he, how did he say in that moment? I've heard Mike Pilavachi preach about that with the story of Lazarus. Like, did he say, you know, whisper in his ear, young man, arise? Did he, did he kind of bellow out, young man, arise? You know, how, how did Jesus say it? I mean, it's, it's neither here nor there, but I just wonder sometimes to, 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 to visually put myself in the story. But either way, by his word, Jesus speaks and the man gets up. The man sits up and he begins to speak. And it's like, by your word, Lord, in the passage four, by your word, Jesus speaks life. That's what he does. Reminds me of, of Ezekiel 37, the valley of dry bones, where it's like there's these dry bones and in the vision, God, he, he says to Ezekiel, speak life. I'm, I'm going to breathe life. It's what he does in this situation. He speaks life. It's what he does in our situation. You and I, we were once dead in our trespasses, dead in our sins. We were once far away from God and he has spoken life into us. And, and, and he gets up and, he, and, and, and the crowd are like, what is going on there? There's that bit, mixture of fear and, and excitement and they're glorifying God. He's, he's one of the great prophets. They're referring to Elijah and, and Elisha. If you read 1 and 2 Kings, you know, 1 Kings 17, Elijah, he, he, there's a widow's son that he's raised from the dead. And Elisha does a very similar miracle in, in 2 Kings 4. There's, there's kind of history of this. And they're like, he's, he's one of the great prophets. They, they, they can't believe what's going on. And this whole story just reminds me of like, listen, in the midst of, like in our lives, time and time again, in the midst of chaos and confusion and despair and grief and misery, Jesus steps in. That's what he does. That is what, that's kingdom power. Jesus steps in. And so you get these two stories. In story one, you've got Jesus is responding to faith by marvelling and healing a centurion servant. And then in story two, Jesus responds to pain with compassion and raises a widow's son. And it creates a buzz everywhere. Everyone's talking about it. Word spreads. It, it spreads to John the Baptist. He's like, what is going on? John the Baptist, is, he kind of sends, he's in prison. He sends some of his own disciples to, to Jesus to ask him, are you the ones to come? Like, 
And I, I, I believe in you, but is there going to be another one? Because John was expecting kingdom power to look, like I said, like judgment and wrath and, and kind of stamping down. And, and all he's seeing is like grace and compassion and kindness. And it's just causing him a bit like, what, what's going on? And, and so sort of Jesus takes his servants to one side, John the Baptist, or disciples, I should say, and kind of says to him, listen, just... Like John used to quote the Old Testament a lot when he was talking about what the you know that there's one who's coming preparing the way of the one who comes kind of quoting from Isaiah 40 but he's going to come and, and do remarkable things and so Jesus himself quotes from Isaiah again he kind of uses Isaiah 35 because he says to his disciples uh, to the disciples of John just tell him what you've seen and heard tell him what's going on tell him what you've you've witnessed and and, and he quotes from Isaiah 35 I'm going to going to read that to us now verse five which says this. And this is, I guess, like a prophecy of what the kingdom's going to look like when it comes. And he says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. It's kind of, these are some of the things, some of the characteristics that will happen. And so, so what does Jesus do? He says, Tell them what you've seen and heard, that the blind receive their sight, that the lame are walking. He kind of adds that the lepers are cleansed, the deaf are hearing, the dead are raised up and, and then he quotes from Isaiah 61, which is, the, we looked at that a couple of weeks ago, the manifesto of the kingdom, that, that the good news will be proclaimed to the poor. In other words, Jesus is, is trying to say, this is what kingdom power and authority looks like. This is what is being revealed to you. And as we draw to a close, I guess I want to say that this is not the only time, this is not the last time that Jesus shocks people with what kingdom power looks like. In a few chapters' time in, in Luke's Gospel, we'll meet another mother crying at the feet of her dead son, Jesus, as Mary is, is crying as he's hung to a cross in what looks like weakness and a lack of power and a lack of authority. It looks like he's just been hammered in. But we'll see that actually it's the greatest display of power and authority that the world has ever seen. That he would lay down his life only to take it up again, defeating the power of sin and death. That it wouldn't just be one widow who is having her tears kind of being told not to weep, but anyone who puts their trust in Jesus. These stories in, in, in Luke's gospel point us so gloriously, they, they reveal to us so magnificently of, 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 of a kingdom that is being ushered in where death will no longer have the final say and where tears and sorrow, weeping and sorrow are replaced for laughing and joy. That, friends, is the kingdom in all of his power. That is the power displayed by a powerful king. Let's pray together and then we're going to worship our Lord Jesus Christ. Almighty God, we, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that you, that you did not spare him, but that you gave him up as a ransom for many, that he came displaying kingdom power power and strength in just remarkable ways and Lord I, I want to pray for us that, that we too where our faith would be stirred to, to, to be expectant of the power that you can display in our lives 
Lord, that we would know that you step in, that we would have the, the, the authority to know that by your word things change. So I pray, will you stir our faith and expectation, but also will you point us to yourself again, that we will glorify you and worship you for who you are and what you've done. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's worship Jesus together.